Welcome to Real Christianity, a weekly show designed to help Christians know their Bible, defend their faith, and truly understand what it means to follow Jesus. The premise is simple. The culture is getting louder. The church is getting flashier, but few pastors are teaching on how to live a biblical life. My name is Dale Partridge, along with my incredible wife, Veronica. Join us as we start an important conversation about what it really means to be a Christian. Welcome to Real Christianity. Today we are talking about the biblical role of women in the church. So we are going to go there. Uh, This has been a highly requested episode uh, and topic on what is the woman's role in church. And so we're going to discuss, should women teach? Should women be pastors? Uh, What does that look like? In the biblical expression of church, according to scripture, we are going to tackle that in this episode. Um, Before we get started, if you guys haven't already, would you consider uh, leaving a review on iTunes uh, about the podcast? You don't even need to write anything. You could just tap the stars. That would be helpful. Again, this episode is available on Spotify, Google Play, uh, YouTube, and iTunes. If you're listening to this, you can watch this as a video on YouTube, which makes it really easy to share with people. Um, to start, uh, I, I just want to ask you, why do you think this topic, babe, has been so, like, so many women ask you about this question? I know I get it all the time, mm-hmm. probably weekly. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the pastoral office, but um, wh- what do you think is going on? Well, I, yeah, I get this question a ton, too, and I think that we see so many women who read the Word And they see what it has to say. And in their hearts, they truly want to honor the Lord and they want to do what the word says. But then they see something completely different played out in the church today. Mm. Um, And oftentimes by women that they admire and that they learn from. Um, And then we also see the opposite concern of women um, who have this deep, like fiery passion inside of them to teach. And they want to exercise that muscle. They just haven't quite understood the biblical way of expressing that gift. Yeah, the boundaries of that. And I know you actually have women in your life that you follow online, other mm-hmm. teachers, and you go, wow, why? Like, how do they have a different perspective on this? Why are they teaching that way? Or why are they doing those things mm-hmm. uh, that seem to be opposite? Yeah, and yeah, they've gone to these incredible seminary schools, and I didn't, you know, my seminary school is learning from you and reading the Bible. And so... Um, So, yeah, sometimes I'll get challenged a lot by why are they walking this way when I believe the Bible says to do this? And then I'll usually have that discussion with you, go back to the Bible, and then we come back to whatever, you know, we agree upon. Yeah, we have to remember that Scripture teaches that uh, God will use the foolish things to confound the wise. He, He takes the simple people, the weakness of us, and makes us strong. And so um, topics like these where you go, man, why is uh, everybody else not seeing it this way. Um, well, I think that's one we need to look at that is 
in terms of just historical narrative. People always used to see it the way that we're going to preach it. Um, but uh, in a modern culture, yeah, a lot of people don't see it the way that we're going to share it today. And so um, just on that point, let's dive right in. And we're going to talk about the role of women in the local church. And the first thing we have to bring clarity to on this journey is what is a local church? Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'm not talking about what is the role of a woman as a Christian or what is the role of a Christian woman in her home. I'm talking about what is the role of a Christian woman in the local church. And um, so after I take you guys through this journey, we'll hop over to 1 Corinthians, then over to 1 Timothy, and then we'll close with the common rebuttals of uh, this position in terms of the arguments against what we're going to say. First, um, a, a local church is not just five Christians in a room with their Bibles. Um, I, I can hear people say it now, but wait, what about that scripture, that passage that says, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there amidst them. Um, that passage in Matthew 18 is actually referring to church discipline, and it's talking gather two or three together to gather all the facts about this matter. Um, if that was true, that two or three are gathered, um, and that's when God comes together, then where's God when you're by yourself? And so, again, that passage is taken out of context pretty often. So um, what makes a church? And I'm going to talk about what I think are the seven structures of a biblical church. And again, this is a prerequisite conversation before we get into the topic of the biblical role of women in the church. I'm laying the foundation for you um, so you can have a better understanding of how we get to the interpretation that we have. So these seven structures, I'll go through them quickly. What makes a church? The first thing is the book of Acts says that Christians met regularly and on the first day of the week. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Uh, The Psalms predicted that he would rise on the first day of the week. That's when Christians gathered at that point. Um, Hebrews exhorts Christians to not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. They gather regularly and they gathered on the first day of the week. That's one of those structural marks that you see in the scripture. And that's why historically the church has gathered regularly and on Sunday. The second uh, structure point is the local church has church governance. And this is uh, found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, um, deacons and elders. So there's church governance in a church. Uh, There's local church discipline. And that's in Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. That's another part of what makes a body of believers a church. Uh, There's communion. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's giving, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, among many others, um, that talks about these are, again, pillars or marks or structure points of what makes a gathering of believers an actual church and not just four or five people who happen to be Christian together. Point number six is there are rules and structures Uh, The local church meeting, the actual structure of the meeting has in regards to the schedule, in regards to how gifting, spiritual gifts, can be used or not used. Um, And then the point number seven is that there are gender roles and even age roles that you can see for how the church should be played out, the church meeting should be played out. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 2. Um, So these are just important parts to realize, okay, we're talking about what is the role of a woman in the local church? And then now we understand what is a church. It's not just a bunch of people gathering. It's just 
has to have all these structure points. Yeah, and that's why a conference on a Thursday morning for work, uh, even with many Christians present, isn't a church meeting. Yeah. Or why a Bible study with three ladies around at a coffee table isn't a church meeting. Um, and this is why seminary class on theology isn't a local church meeting. Imagine being uh, at your friend's house for a worship night and all of a sudden decide that you're going to try and collect some giving or <laughs> imposing church governor governance on your friend. Um, yeah, that'd be a little awkward. It'd be awkward. Yeah, mm -hmm. it'd be super weird. So what we're saying is that not all Christian gatherings are church gatherings. Yeah, that's the core point. Not all Christian gatherings are church gatherings. So now let's go to 1 Corinthians to see what it has to say about women in the church. Now, again, I'm going to stall us for a second because we got another prerequisite here. First, we need to determine who this letter was written to. And why? Well, I've heard several Christians explain away uh, the relevancy and doctrines of the entire book of 1 Corinthians. I've heard it many times. I actually recall a preacher once saying, and I quote, Remember, this letter was written to Christians 2,000 years ago for a culture 2,000 years ago. And ultimately, this does two things that we need to be concerned about when you hear statements like that. First, the disposition further advances uh, the growing idea that when Scripture is tough on our flesh, when we bump into it, it's unpopular or uncomfortable, that we can always find a contextual angle to sidestep the authority of that Scripture. Mm -hmm. The second thing is this posture implies that the words of that book in 1 Corinthians uh, are not relevant or authoritative to a modern community of believers. They were only authoritative to a historical community of believers. Uh, all that is a lie, and we know that because Paul clearly states who he wrote this letter to, and it's not just for a distant Corinthian culture long ago. And in verse 2, we actually see the letter's intended audience. And Veronica is going to go ahead and read that section for us now. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So ultimately, Paul is addressing four groups of people here. Yep. Uh, the first one is going to be the church of God, which is at Corinth. Is that you? No. No. So the second one is those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Yes. Is that you? Yeah, yeah that's, that's me. You. Um, number three, those who are called to be saints. Again, is that you? Yes, I'm called to be a saint. Okay. And then the fourth one is where it says, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Is this letter written only to the Corinthians? No. no. This is written to... Everybody, with all who in every place, call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's pretty evident that Paul, if you just want to, you know, he's going, hey, uh, Corinth, sure, directly, it's to you. Uh, and then called to be saints and sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then all who in every place. Man, this is a universal letter. And so this is important to make sure that you guys understand because we're going to talk about the doctrines of 1 Corinthians. And if you don't believe that this letter is written to you, to Christians, to Christians universally, that it's authoritative in your life, then you're going to just not be able to submit to the doctrines that are taught within this letter. Um, in seminary, I actually had the privilege to learn some of the historical and cultural context of this letter. And uh, I don't have time to share all that today, um, but I do want to give you some basic context of the letter of 1 Corinthians because we're going to talk about it 
here in a bit. Um, so Paul wrote it from Ephesus. He had just got done spending about 18 months uh, in Corinth, and he actually established the Corinthian church. He ends up going to Corinth. He meets Priscilla and Aquila there. Priscilla and Aquila actually get kicked out of Rome. They're also Jewish. They're also tent makers. They become friends. Paul's like, man, these Jews don't want to listen to me because he goes to the synagogues first. He goes, I'm going to leave this place. But actually the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 you're going to stay here and establish a church. Paul establishes this church. Then he moves on to Ephesus. He writes this letter back to them. And so that kind of gives you a little bit of history and understanding of of Paul cares about these people in a deep way. Mm -hmm. And he's instructing them as a father, as a shepherd. And um, now, like this letter and the rest of the New Testament epistles, are universal teachings for local application, Uh, meaning that they're for the entire church of God, but they're to be applied in your own life, in your own church, in your own time. And that's how we should be viewing these passages and these doctrines. Now, the contents contents of this letter specifically in 1 Corinthians, uh, they're corrective and specific issues to the Corinthian church, but the principles are universal. And that's what we need to understand. These principles are universal. Sure, there are some direct things just to Corinth, but generally the principles are universal. And to give you some more foundation to stand on, the church throughout history, if you look at this, um, has believed that this letter is universal. There's no way that this letter would have made it into the canon of Scripture, the New Testament canon, if the entire church uh, in the establishing church, the early church, didn't view this letter as authoritative doctrine for the church of God. Um, And if we didn't have this letter or we didn't adopt or view 1 Corinthians as an authoritative letter, man, we wouldn't have so many of the doctrines on sexuality, on marriage, on church discipline, on church structure, unity, spiritual gifts, love, and the resurrection. The 1 Corinthians 13 chapter is the biblical definition of love. If we just kind of threw out 1 Corinthians, the doctrine and its authority, we wouldn't have 1 Corinthians 13, which is so core to the Christian faith, or the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of the most important uh, doctrines and passages on the resurrection. So what I'm saying is that we can't pick and choose or do the cherry picking of the scriptures that we like from 1 Corinthians and the scriptures that we don't like. We need to really yield it to uh, yield to it as as an authoritative letter in entire in its entirety. Um, now, again, we're getting there. We're getting close to talking about these doctrines for biblical women. But quickly, I want to give you just another point on hermeneutics. And the reason I'm telling you all this stuff is because I want you guys to understand that uh, I've studied this extensively. I'm not going to say that I'm scholarly, but I will say that I've studied this passage extensively and I am looking at it through the lens of uh, accurate interpretation um, tactics. Um, I'm looking at the grander theology and um, just wanted to walk you through one last thing before we get into this conversation. Um, A quick hermeneutics lesson. So hermeneutics is the science and and interpretation uh, of of scripture or the art and science of interpreting scripture. And the, the mature and the wise Bible reader gets to discern what type of texts are prescriptive and what types of texts are descriptive. And I'm going to give you an example. The book of Acts, in, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, which Acts in general is a descriptive book. It's a historical narrative. Um, Acts chapter 2 says this, this passage about, man, the, the church came together and they gathered all things together and they shared amongst themselves. This is what that church did. It's not necessarily what scripture is prescribing us all to do universally. 
And so you have to recognize that, wow, that isn't prescriptive doctrine. That is descriptive history. And you get to do that all throughout scripture. Um, And to go even a little bit deeper, if the text is maybe appealing to local customs versus universal principles. These are things that I'm doing in the midst of putting together my theological argument or understanding. I'm going to give you an example of that, of customs and principles. In uh, the Gospels, Jesus sends out the 70. You might remember that story. And he he tells them to not bring uh, shoes. It's one of the the instructions. Don't wear shoes. Um, Now, this is clearly, as you study this passage, a custom to the time and a custom to the era or the, the geographical era. Uh, area that they were living in, it's not a universal mandate for shoeless evangelism. And so these are the kind of things we get to look at as we study this passage of Scripture. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode. Dale and I want to quickly tell you about one of our favorite things to do with other couples, marriage retreats. Yeah, a few times per year, Veronica and I host 15 couples at a private resort here in the Pacific Northwest. We spend three days learning about the Bible and having an intimate discussion time. It is a ton of fun. The best part is it's an all-inclusive event. Every couple gets their own cozy cabin and fireplace. We have a private chef cooking incredible food and desserts and a variety of activities available for couples to just have fun with each other. Yeah, we can't tell you how life-changing these retreats have been for couples. So as you can tell, these retreats have very limited space. But if you're interested in spending a few days with us in the mountains here in Oregon, then please apply for one of our upcoming retreats. Just go to ultimatemarriage.com forward slash retreat. Again, that's ultimatemarriage.com forward slash retreat. Now let's get back to the show. So now that we know what uh, a church is mm-hmm. and we know who this letter is written to and we know how to discern different types of commands in Scripture, let's now go to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, but we're going to start with the end of this passage on women and then read the beginning and show how they connect. Yep. Um, so please stay with us as it is critical for you to understand this passage. Yep. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 through 38. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he does he is not recognized. Okay, so Veronica just read the end of the passage that we're going to be discussing in this episode. And wow, I'm going to read it one more time because it's a powerful piece of scripture. It says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Okay, this is rare for Paul to drop his apostolic authority in this extreme level, but that's what he does right here. Um, The second thing I want to point out is that he's expecting resistance he opens up this line with, hey, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he needs to acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you, they're not written for me. They're a command of the Lord himself. That's, that's like he's expecting some resistance to what he just wrote. And so just keep that in mind. Uh, point number three I want to make is he says, these things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. Remember we just talked about, about customs and, and principles and How often does the Lord personally give commands that are only for one local church? 
Like Never. That doesn't happen in anywhere in Scripture where Jesus is giving specific, unique commands that aren't applicable to any other church except this one church. That doesn't happen anywhere in Scripture. Um, how often does the Lord give commands which are actually just local customs and not universal principles to the church? No, that never happens either. So the Lord gives commands that are universal. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Um, and if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Wow, that is a powerful statement by the apostle. And I'm going to explain what he's saying there. He said that, first he said, anyone. So just a huge word. They're not just someone in Corinth, but just anyone. He says, not, um, he says if they don't recognize what I just wrote to you, then Paul himself will not recognize you as a member of the church. That's what he's saying right there. Now, he could even be saying, recognize you as a Christian. I don't want to go that far. But I definitely believe he's saying, if you don't recognize what I just, the command that I just wrote to you, then me, the apostle sent by Jesus Christ himself, would not recognize you as a member of the church. Pretty powerful verbiage there. Yeah, so the big question we must answer is, what did Paul just write? What is the command of the Lord that if I don't recognize it means that he wouldn't recognize me as a member of the church? Mm -hmm. um, so let's go back and read the previous four verses um, and then figure out how they connect with this passage. Yep. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33 through 36. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is any... Uh, is it, excuse me, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. There you go, right? So Veronica put it all together right there is that what he's talking about, he's expecting resistance to the doctrine about women. It was a problem then, it's a problem now. Um, he, 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 um, we realized that this intense command and this recognition of spiritual uh, belonging to the church is about women in the church. It's probably one of the most intense passages that Paul writes out there. And so I want to make a couple important points for you guys to consider. First, I didn't write it. <laughs> so uh, it's nice to, to be able to say that. And so if you're frustrated at this for any reason, you get to go and take that up with the Lord. Um, and, and I'm just interpreting it uh, according to what it says. Uh, point number two, uh, the section of the letter is speaking to how a church should order their local church gathering. Okay, these, the verses that are right before this passage on the women are talking about how the prophets or the teachers in the local church should be uh, presenting and reasoning the word of God in the local gathering. And so that, that's the context that he just comes off the heels of how the prophets and teachers should be communicating in the local meeting. And then it moves in and talking about the women. What Paul is saying here is that while many things changed from the old covenant to the new covenant, um, women contending for the faith in the local gathering is not one of them. And that's what he says right here in verse, um, I think it's 34. He says, 
the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but be in but should be in submission as the law capital l also says what does he mean by that well um a couple things that are important to mention is that again some things change old covenant to new Co- lots of things change old covenant to new covenant this wasn't one of them in terms of the societal behaviors inside the meeting of God's people. And if you go to an Orthodox synagogue today, uh, you'll see that the men and women are separated. Um, and the women, and some of them just, maybe they're even intertwined, but there's definitely not women contending for the faith uh, in in that meeting of people. And Paul's saying that uh, this is a command of the Lord and it's, just, it's going to remain the same. Um, verse 35 which says, if there is anything that they desire to learn, they, the women, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay. <clears throat> um, I want to talk about this for a second. Why would God say this? Why would God say, hey, if you have a question, ask your husband at home, Like, but be silent. Don't ask it in the meeting. Ask it at home. Um, I want to just explain from our own experience what that has shown um, so Veronica and I, we've been married for, uh, we're in our 10th year of marriage right now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, every time, uh, over our 10 years of marriage, if Veronica has a question for the church meeting, we're at the church meeting, the pastor says something, a teacher says something, she has a question. She might write it down. Um, she doesn't go to Google. She doesn't go to her friend. She doesn't go to the pastor himself. She doesn't go to her, her, you know, her friend over here or another man. She comes to me. What does that do to me? It um, makes you want to have the answers. It does. It makes me go provide uh, that answer for me and to go look into the word yourself. It's a great strategy to actually get me to go seek out the word. Ladies, if you want your husbands to get in the scriptures, ask them questions about the scriptures in a humble heart. And okay, so so one, we we figured out that there's actually a purpose in this practice is that, man, you have a question and you ask me at home, it actually stimulates me to get back into the word. It's almost kind of like a leading from behind moment. Now, let's just say um, that over these the next 20 years of our marriage, every time you have a question, um, our daughter, Aria, watches. Mom has a question about spiritual things from church. She goes and asks dad, what does that teach Aria. To find a man who knows the word and can provide her the answer. Exactly. Also to be a woman uh, in submission to her husband and honoring her husband. Yes. Awesome. And now let's just look at the the other side is let's just say that uh, we have two little boys, Honor and Valor. And uh, over 20 years, these little boys see mom always asking dad these spiritual questions. What does it teach your little boys? To have the answers. Yeah, they need to become men that have the answers. And to find a woman who honors and respects them. Yes. And seeks after them to have that knowledge and expects them to have that knowledge. See, this is really important that God's practices reinforce his purposes. And we have to, like, just not, when we hear something that's just uncomfortable, we can't just immediately get frustrated. Mm -hmm. We need to look deeper into some of these things. And, um... Um, so it says in the same verse, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Shameful. That's a big word. It actually means d- it's, it's dishonoring to God 
for a woman to speak in church. Dishonoring. This is a crazy statement, especially in light of how many churches operate today. Now, does this mean that a woman can't sing at church? Uh, Can she not correct her child who is being disruptive at church? I hope not, because that happens to us a lot. Um, Can she not make a request for prayer at the church? I don't take that interpretation. Um, And here's why. In Acts 2.42, it says that the church gathered for four things, to labor in the apostles' doctrine, uh, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayers. So it's saying that there's actually sections of the meeting. I think that 1 Corinthians 14 whole section, um, even above this passage that we're talking about, implies that as well. There's times for hymns and singing. There's times for teaching time. Um, And I, I believe what this passage is teaching us is that in the local church, um, the women should be silent during the teaching time, the contending of the faith. They shouldn't be teaching, and there shouldn't be questioning or challenging or or contending or reasoning or uh, you know in the meeting with the men. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's saying here. Now let's look at quickly at verse thirty-six, and it says, "Or is it from you?" that the word of God came? Or or are you the only ones that it reached? These are two sarcastic rhetorical questions that have an obvious no. Um, what that means is Paul saying, did the word of God come from the Greeks? No, it came from the Jews and it came from Zion and it came from God's word. The gospel came from there too. And um, Paul knows he was a Pharisee and he knows, entrust me, you Greeks who are prideful in your wisdom, if you understand the cultural context of this letter, um, he's, he's letting people know, don't argue with me. Don't fight me. I promise that this is the wisdom of the Lord. And he actually has so much expected resistance that he ends up saying that statement of, if you um, think you're a prophet or you think you're spiritual, uh, let it be known the things that I write to you are a command of the Lord. And uh, verse 37, um, or sorry, I just read verse 37. And again, it closes off with that passage. If you do not recognize this, he is not recognized. I just want to ask you a question. If you gave this passage of scripture to an attorney and you said, hey, what does this mean? What do you think they'd come back with? Would they have to do theological gymnastics to get around it? Let's just say that you took it to a 10-year-old and you say, hey, a group of 10-year-olds, Go read this passage of scripture and then form out a church meeting according to this passage of scripture. Would they? Would the women be talking? The girls be talking? No. It's pretty evident and clear what this passage is saying. It's amazing at what lengths we will go to avoid the authority and jurisdiction of this passage. Yeah, this passage can be really hard for a lot of women to hear. Um, and I, it seems as though... Uh, when they hear it, a lot of them will get upset about this passage, almost as if it's an attack on their value. Mm. And frankly, that's just not the case. Um, Men and women are equally valuable, but different in their role um, and different in their marriages and their families and in the church. Um, So if you hear this and you're upset, you're not seeing the bigger picture here. Mm. Um, Men at their worst are passive. We know that. Um, And God knows this. Women speak three to five times more than men. 
Mm-hmm. In our experience, if you get five to seven couples in a room for a Bible study, the women will naturally gravitate towards the praying um, and sometimes even the teaching. Yeah, definitely um, the talking. Yeah, definitely the talking. Yeah, spirituality um, can somewhat can be somewhat of a um, feminine, yeah, type of experience. Uh, yeah, it's kind of feminine in nature, um, and that's why you're seeing so many women take over almost every position on staff in the church these days. Um, but ultimately, we get to conduct God's meeting God's way. We don't get to bring our gifts our way mm-hmm. that he gave us. <laughs> we get to bring our gifts his way. Um, we have to believe that God's practices, like you had mentioned earlier, reinforce his purposes. And instead of getting frustrated as women, uh, that you can't speak for that one hour out of the 168 hours in the week, be excited about what the Lord is doing in the men in your church. Mm-hmm. Uh, when women don't speak, the men have to. Yes. Um, so be excited about the man who is once passive, but is now stepping up and stepping out of his comfort zone to pray or to teach or to lead worship. Um, at the core, this is really just a self-control issue for women, um, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Um, this is not oppression. This isn't uh, a diminished value. This is God's order for his meeting, and we should be very careful to stand against it. Very careful to stand mm-hmm. against it. Yeah, I think you're right. We've actually seen this played out in our own church. We do. We operate our little home gathering uh, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and, and there's been many times where we've uh, we've seen women that have been obedient to this passage of Scripture and are gifted communicators, mm-hmm. gifted teachers. Why don't you share that story about uh, just that one example that I know we're thinking of? Yeah, there's a, a woman in our fellowship, and she, uh, the men were discussing something in Scripture, and you can just tell the Spirit was moving in her, and she was stirring, and she really wanted to say something, but she was... Um, being obedient to the word and sat there in silence um, and prayed quietly to herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and as she finished praying quietly to herself, you actually ended up speaking up and saying the exact same thing that she wanted to share. And she shared this with us after that's why I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like, that's so cool. She's like, I was obedient. I was really, really struggling because I really wanted to say something. And I thought it was a good point. She's like, but I didn't, I stayed quiet. I prayed and God used you. God used the men. And it was just really cool to see it. It's amazing to see if you just put the Holy spirit at the head of the meeting, that, that Christ at the head of his church, that he can take care of his meeting mm-hmm. and make it edifying for everybody. And so uh, this isn't the only place, however, that this doctrine is taught. And again, so if you're trying to escape the authority of this passage, you got to do it twice. And so we're going to talk about the second place that this doctrine is taught. And again, I'm not speaking or teaching on this with, with such an authority because I think that the women need to be silent. That's actually opposite of how I, I go, man, if I wrote it, I would probably have written it differently. Um, it took me many years for me to go, oh, like, God, I understand why you have it this way. And so hopefully my tone and the way that I teach this isn't coming off arrogant or intense. I'm just trying to speak what it says. And my heart is, I know that this is sometimes a hard journey for people to walk through and to sit before the scriptures and evaluate them soberly. 
Um, the second place that this is taught is in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 3, 14 and 15. I'm going to read you that verse real quick. Uh, it says, these things I write to you. Actually, sorry, I'm not going to read this passage. I'm going to start backwards again. And so this passage that we're going to talk about in 1 Timothy, I'm going to go forward a few cha- or a few paragraphs, and we're going to start backwards uh, at the very end, go to the front again, and then I'll show you how it connects one more time. So bear with me. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So I want to explain what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, Paul's like, hey, guys, I want to come to you, but I'm going to write this letter just in case I can't make it to you. Uh, And I, I want you guys to know how you ought to conduct yourself. Like there's a way that you should or should not, ought or ought not. It assumes a moral Uh, boundary um, of how you should behave yourself in the house of God, which is where do churches meet at that time? In houses. In houses. Mm -hmm. The house of God, which is the local church, the house of God, which um, uh, which is the church of the living God, which is the universal church, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And means that the house of the local church and the universal church is the pillar and the ground, get a little visual going here, of the truth, and the truth is God's word. So we, as a church, are here to uphold God's truth in the world. That's what the church does. So he says this. You go, okay, well, you just wrote how we ought to conduct ourselves. Let's go figure out what you just told us. Let's go read those instructions on how we ought to conduct ourselves. So if you pull back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and you start in verse 8, the title of my section in my Bible and my New King James Bible, which has, you know, hundreds of theological editors, they titled this section Men and Women in the Church. So they all came to the same conclusion that this is talking about men and women in the church. Verse 8, it says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So Paul actually gives us the reason why he doesn't permit women to be teaching in the local church meeting. Um, He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Mm-hmm. So he's saying two things. First, he's reinforcing that we as women were made for men and men were not made for us. Um, and following Eve's design, we were made to be the helper, not the leader. Secondly, he points out that Eve was the one who was deceived. Did you ever wonder why the serpent didn't approach Adam? Yeah. <laughs> because Paul is teaching that the spiritual DNA that was given to women is more likely to be deceived than a man. Um, in turn, he's saying that this is why a woman should refrain from teaching. and in, Or having authority over a man, yeah. Right. Um, 
in James 3, verse 1, it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Mm-hmm. Again, this doesn't make us as women less. It makes us different. There are plenty of things uh, that women do far more efficiently than men. Mm-hmm. But um, in the church meeting, the scriptures are ultra clear that we are not to be holding a position of teaching. Um, so let's see. Now I want to remind you guys again that we don't believe that this doctrine applies to all facets of the Christian life. If you want to teach a Bible study or, um, teach at a conference, go for it. Just take heed the words of James. Um, but I don't believe you're restricted by scripture. Um, but if you're asked to preach on a Sunday morning at church, I would caution you to sit before these scriptures, um, and church history and make a sober evaluation. Yeah, this is the really big point is that we're talking about the role of women in the church. And so, yeah, there's fantastic seminary professors that are women that are teaching, but they're not teaching at the church. They're teaching at seminary, which is not church. And if you want to go teach a Bible study, go teach a Bible study. I find it pretty fascinating that the women that do get frustrated that they can't teach according to the scriptures. Um, they're usually the ones that aren't teaching during the week anyways. So it's like, man, if, if you're actually teaching during the week and you're getting to use that gifting in its fullness, you're not usually frustrated that you have to, that the Lord has requested you to be silent yeah, for you it. Have, you have plenty of ministry. Plenty of ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've learned is that in a church filled with women who are loved, cherished, mm-hmm. and heard, this doctrine doesn't rub that hard. Uh, if you have church, a, a, like a church filled with women who are just loved and their husbands care for them and they're heard and they're valued the way that the scriptures call us to value women, um, this, this passage doesn't really bother those women. They're just ready to just be in their biblical role. And that's just my, my experience. Um, so before we close out, I just want to talk quickly about the four common arguments, which are pretty funny, some of them. Um, But they are common arguments against this passage of Scripture or against this doctrine. Um, The first one is uh, the scribes wrote in this passage. And this is a real thing. You guys can look up articles on this. But they actually, there's people that say, oh, it was dark and they couldn't interpret the passage correctly as they transcribed it from one document to the other. And they actually wrote this in the margin and eventually it made it into the text. And, you know, these scribes are just kind of had their own opinion about women and they wanted, and I just go, whoa. Sounds like a toddler, like child lying about (laughs) trying to make up the story to get out of trouble. I just go, if that's true, man, we can just escape any passage of scripture by saying, Uh, oh, the scribes wrote that passage and it actually wasn't Paul or he didn't. Again, this is our creativity to escape the authority of scripture. So that's one. Um, Number two is, what about 1 Corinthians 11? And this is probably the most valid argument in terms of, I can see how people come to this conclusion. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about creation order. It talks about women should be wearing their uh, heads cover or covering their heads when they pray or prophesy and men should have a, take their head coverings off when they pray or prophesy. We did an entire podcast on that. You can you could find it on relearnchurch.org. Now, um, what it's saying is that they're saying is that, hey, if 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
Paul says you can't, women can't teach. But just a couple chapters earlier, he says that women can pray and prophesy as long as their heads are covered. Like, is Paul some sort of schizophrenic maniac and he doesn't know how to make decisions? He says one thing over here and another thing over there. No, Paul's not an idiot. Um, what's going on here is that if you read 1 Corinthians as a letter and not like one chapter at a time, you'll realize that chapter 11 is talking about normal Christian life. And chapter 14 is talking about life in the church meeting. And it goes normal Christian life, chapter 11, it talks about communion. Then chapter 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is saying, hey, those gifts don't matter if you don't love people. Chapter 14 is spiritual gifts and usage in the church and then local church at the very end and then the resurrection in chapter 15. Like there's a flow to this thing. And so what chapter 11 is saying is that you can pray or prophesy with your head covered is what it's saying. It's not talking about church. So Paul is not um, an idiot that's contradicting himself. Um, Number three is pretty common, is the women in Corinth were exceptionally loud. Um, there's articles, I'm telling you, by like people who know their Bible and write these, these arguments that they come up with this theory that the women in Corinth were exceptionally loud and Paul needed to create this local custom specifically for them. Um, and I go, man, that's so weird that, that, that the Lord is going to create a custom just for one church here. Um, but that's, that's one thing. And I just, I just go, this is folklore. There's nowhere in scripture that says that the women in Corinth were exceptionally loud and that they needed a passage of scripture to quiet them down. Um, and the number four common argument is, but what about the old Testament women like Deborah or Esther, um, or the Proverbs 31 woman, you know? And again, these are great women, but we can't take the Old Testament descriptions of how these women behaved in Israel's theocracy and turn them into the doctrines of how women should behave in the local church under a new covenant. They are totally different things. And so it's great what Deborah did and that God called her to do that. It's very different when the doctrines of the New Testament have superseded the doctrines of the Old Testament. And now there are clear instructions on how women should behave in church. And we can't just ignore those because of what had historically occurred in the Old Testament. Okay, we're closing now, guys. And I know, I know I've been talking a lot, but I wanted to make sure that we're ultra clear today. Um, ultimately, ladies, men... You have to ask yourself, uh, are you wanting to be biblical regardless of popularity or comfort or sometimes even understanding? Mm -hmm. uh, we have to remember that um, the Bible says that God's as high as the heavens are above the earth. So are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. Like God has a way to do things that sometimes we don't understand. And would you rather stand before the Lord and go, Lord, I followed your instructions as it was written, and him go, oh, thank you, you honorable child, for following those instructions. Um, you are so faithful in that and obedient. But actually, I didn't mean that. But your heart was so good. Thank you. Would you rather that response from the Lord? Or would you rather say, Lord, I actually assumed that you didn't mean what you wrote, 
So I thought I would do it my way, which I think was a little bit better. Um, and I hope that's okay. Like, imagine standing before the Lord saying that, in uh, Him responding, why didn't you obey me in this matter? It was clearly written. Mm-hmm. And so you gotta sit and go, what side do I want to err on? Um, Jesus, countless times throughout the New Testament and the Gospels, says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And Paul says that this is a command of the Lord. And so you get to sit here and evaluate this. The question you got to ask yourself is, one, do you believe how we are teaching this passage of Scripture is correct? And I'm not saying that I'm 100% right. I'm saying that I'm confident of what I'm teaching based off of the study that I've done. Um, do you believe that, that that's what it's saying? And then the second thing you have to ask yourself is, do you love Jesus? Because if you do, you'll keep his commandments. So that is the close of this episode. Um, hot topic today. Hot topic today and mm-hmm. excited for you guys to walk that journey out. Um, as we close out, um, just a reminder, if you guys haven't, would you guys please leave a review? They are very helpful for increasing the exposure of this show to other believers. And on that note, we will see you guys next Wednesday for another episode of Real Christianity. Take care. Hey, Dale Partridge here. I recently heard a disturbing statistic. Only 11% of Christians have read the entire Bible. Now, we can't wonder why the church is being influenced by the culture more than the culture is being influenced by the church. The vast majority of Christians don't know God's word because they've never read it. We cannot live out what we do not understand. So Veronica and I want to challenge you right now to read the Bible in one year. We've put together a basic 365-day reading plan that'll take you no longer than 20 minutes per day, and you can download it for free at relearnchurch.org forward slash Bible. Again, that's relearnchurch.org forward slash Bible. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real Christianity. Real Christianity is an audio ministry of relearnchurch.org. If you'd like more information on how to live out a biblical life, relearnchurch.org hosts a variety of articles, podcasts, sermons, and videos to support your journey. Real Christianity is a 100% listener-supported ministry, and if you'd like to support our efforts, simply click the Donate tab at relearnchurch.org. You can also connect with both Veronica and I on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for daily lessons and Bible teachings. Thank you for being with us today. We hope to see you next Wednesday for another episode of Real Christianity.